Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have come near to us this morning. We thank you that your presence is with us. You promised that you would never leave, and you are with us now as we are gathered in your name. You are walking in our midst. Lord, I pray that we would meet with you who are so deeply with us and receive from you that we might bless you with our praises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A couple nights ago, I was at John and Lisa Trailers for a, uh, a concert that was so cool. Um, is actually uh, John's teacher of tabla, which is a, it was a percussion instrument from, uh, from India, was there giving a concert along with the guy who played the sitar and um, played a lot of different types of music. It has a, has a structure to it, but it's Eastern, so it's a little bit unfamiliar to, to Western um, ears, but a lot of it's improv. And uh, like I said, it has got, it's got a theme, it's called a, a raga, that it's built on, and um, it's inspired typically by poetry. A lot of the poetry that they did was uh, court poetry, and um, you know, some of it about the beautiful countryside of different parts of India. But um, it, was, it was an incredible experience. It was like a, a living experience. Like the room was uh, alive with a kind of um, you know, connectivity. And, and um, like there were these, there'd be these moments where, uh, particularly in this one where they were literally doing um, a piece of music about the beauty of the countryside, where I felt like I was running up hills and, and running down hills, and there's these swells of joy that are, are carrying me up, and, and I'm looking at the musicians, and they're, they, they're making eye contact with each other, and they're looking around the room, too. And they're, they're keeping pace with one another. Of course, the tabla guy, the rhythm guy, he's, he's especially establishing this kind of structure, but it's a, it's a flexible structure, kind of like our spine, you know? And, um, and then the, the guy who was, you know, creating the melody was so connected too. And I, could, I felt like being there, that I was somehow participating, that I was actually part of the creative process there. And I think that they would tell you that we were because it was a unique gathering of people in that moment. There's something about this morning's gospel that just so deeply touches my heart because I feel like what's happening is that the Lord is entering into some music that's going on in, in the midst of these, these, these 10 lepers' lives, but he's, he's changing it up. He's entering into it, and he's making it something really, really beautiful. And he's entered into the music, and he's transformed it, and he's inviting us to enter into it as well. I am... Um, one of the things that kind of hit me when I was reading this gospel, I did not look at the Greek. I'm about to quote the Greek to you in just a minute, which I hardly ever do, but it's to make a point. But when I was reading the gospel this time, there's something about the way the lepers cried out that I just thought, there's ten, there, there's ten of them out there and they're doing it like a chorus. They're, they're in kind of like a, a rhythmic thing, like I was just describing to you. And um, so I don't even know if that's exactly true, but it was my impression. And immediately I had an image of many years ago when I went into the opera with my good friend John Fawcett, and we're going in with a whole crowd of people, and there's these two guys standing in the middle of this massive foyer where we're going into the Lyric Opera House of Chicago, and they're saying in perfect unison with each other uh, something like, 
Come get your libretto for the opera, one dollar. Come get your libretto for the opera, one dollar. Come get your libretto for the opera, one dollar. And they're doing it with this kind of energy and this excitement, and like, I'm getting excited. And th there was like this whole, you know, legend about these two guys, and it, it changed my energy again. And that reminded me, as I was just thinking about that in reference to this passage, I just remembered, you know, some things that I'm learning in the last, some of us have been learning this too, about in the last couple of years. Like, how do we really connect with one another? How, how do we really connect with each other? H how do we know that life is good? In fact, how do, like, even babies become human, fully human, in the sense of, like, they're able to communicate? Well, so much of that happens with things like nonverbal language, the kinds of language that were happening in that living room the other night. It's a massive amount of meaning that's happening. I, I, I spent a lot of time with my little granddaughter, Charlie, babysit her just a little bit more than Verona, who most of you know, but I'll go in and, and I'll, um, she'll be like, oh, <laughs> oh, she just like kind of jumps a little bit. Oh, you're here. And I'm like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm here. She like evokes a little jump in me too. Like there's this instant communication that's happening. And, and then I pick her up and she's like, I don't know what she's saying. She's not saying anything word-wise, but she's saying a ton. Like she'll pull out the pens in my pocket and I'll be like, you know? And we're having this connection. And usually I try and translate it. I say, yes, that's a pen. And that is a fountain pen. It's sharp, be careful, but have fun, you know? And we, so we're, we have this connection and it's like, she's just blessed by it and I'm blessed by it. And it's so sweet and so good and so simple. And what we find too is that something that's happening right there is the exact same thing that, that we're discovering in science is absolutely necessary for those of us who are struggling with things like depression and anxiety. Like we're feeling maybe in some way disturbed and a lot of that happens because we feel very vulnerable, feel very alone and afraid or angry and just things are just messed up, you know? And sometimes it's completely uncontrollable. Like I'm actually so upset, I, I can't get a hold of myself. Like a little baby who's really upset and they need the mother to come and say, I know you're upset, but it's gonna be okay, you know? And that transformation happens and they call this prosody. You ever heard that word before? Prosody is, it's like the, the tone of the voice and the, the kind of the rhythm of the voice. And so mothers just do this naturally. They'll meet the, the kind of emotional situation that's there in the child and they'll kind of match it and then they'll move into rhythm with it and then they'll kind of change it up a little bit and there's this creative thing that's happening. And it's actually forming the child's brain. It's actually also, by the way, what can restore and heal a brain that's really hurt and upset. And the more that we do that from just a human standpoint, the more something really beautiful and transformational happens. And we're just beginning to understand how powerful this kind of communication is. Jesus comes into our flesh. He comes into our flesh as the word of God and with his entire life, he's speaking to us the words of love. And he comes to look at his disciples in the eye and he comes to speak to his disciples with his words and with all of his emotions, every part of his being so that we could be fully healed. He comes into 
our condition, and he speaks, and he ministers to it. And it's so incredibly creative. So I want to take a look at this gospel passage and, and see if we can appreciate just a little bit of what's happening here so that we can incorporate it into, into our own lives. Because it's even more than what I'm describing from a scientific standpoint. There's this, um, there's this wonderful thing that you guys have heard, most of you have heard of Bach, right? Probably one of the greatest composers that ever lived. He actually, every single time he was going to do a creative composition, he would pray to God and he put these initials at the top of the composition before he had started doing anything and it was just JJ. And it's, it's, um, it's the Latin for Yesu uh, Yava, Jesus help me. And then he would do this work which he thought was a, a collaboration with God in the spirit and he would do this work, it was a work between him and God, and he would create this beautiful music, and then at the bottom of it, it would say, SDG, Soli Dei Gloria, to God alone be the glory. And really, I think it gives us a perfect structure. I think it's exactly, in a, in a sense, what's happening here with these lepers, and it's an incredible lesson as Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem. And the disciples remember it because it's such a powerful lesson. This very, very short thing. And yet it's powerful. So I just decided, well, I'm going to look up at the, the Greek. I mean, I often look at the Greek, but I don't pay that much attention to it, and I never speak it aloud. But this time I said, I wonder what, what it would sound like. So here's, I mean, they're saying, you know, um, you know, Lord Jesus or Master Jesus, have mercy on us. Yep, Jesus epistata eleison Hamas. Jesus epistata eleison Hamas. Jesus epistata eleison Hamas. And they're crying it together. Do you hear the rhythm? Does it feel plaintive a little bit? Jesus epistata eleison Hamas. They're crying out for healing. They're letting their vulnerability and their need cry out to him. And these folks are, they're lepers. So that means that they can't be in the community. They, they're actually outside the city gates. They're not allowed to worship. They're not allowed to be with their family. They have a skin disease. And back then, they were always concerned if you have a skin disease, that it was typically considered very contagious because a lot of it was. And so you couldn't participate in life at all. It was an incredible experience of, of um, not belonging, but being marginalized. But Jesus has ears for this. I mean, he begins to resonate with this call, and it stops him, um, even though he's on a mission headed to Jerusalem. It stops him outside the city gates. Okay, it's because he has ears to hear, especially the poor, the widow, the orphan, the prisoner, any outsider, the demoniac. He has ears to hear people on the outside. He, his ears tune in to that. He pays close attention. And so he does also for these, these lepers who have an incredible poverty in relationship and belonging. And it's his desire to bring all of us in that place of being outside back into connection with him. All of us who feel this kind of alienation and rejection in the parts of our hearts that do, he wants to bring every part of ourselves back into connection with him. I thought a lot about the 
The fact that these are skin diseases. Skin is, I don't know how much you've ever thought about it. I did this week because of the fact that these guys had skin disease. But man, isn't it upsetting when there's something wrong with your skin? Especially if it's like on your face. And you look in the mirror like, I I don't recognize this stuff. Especially when I was a teenager. This happened a good bit. (laughs) I'm like, oh man, I don't feel like myself. In fact, I feel ashamed. I feel marred. I don't feel like I'm going to fit in. I don't recognize who I am. I'm losing a sense of my identity. And skin is also this thing, it's like this barrier, it's very sensitive. Like in the room the other night, when the music would change, sometimes I would feel like tingling on my skin. It's like the energy that I picked up just as the the group was entering into this cool, beauty, beautiful music. My skin is a very sensitive thing. It's about communication. Touch is the first form of communication that we have as babies, and it continues to be extremely important. And yet, it's also something that separates us. Like we don't, our skin doesn't blend together with another person. I mean, that's really, you know, that, that would be like something that, like if you're born um, attached to your twin, that, that's considered like that's not the way it's meant to be, right? Your skin is a way of distinguishing yourself from others. Well, so it's, it's a really significant part of human identity. Which is why I think when it says Jesus becomes flesh and dwells among us, that's really powerful. And it's because he wants to, in our skin, bring us back to our true selves and actually pull us back into relationship. It's a deep, deep healing to be restored back to relationship, be taken from the margins of feeling rejected on the outside and brought back into the inner circle of relating to him. I think in general, there's kind of, my, my, the way I look at it, there's two kinds of symptoms of a skin problem. I mean, there, I suppose there's the kind that you just see something that's wrong, but a lot of times these particular conditions were associated either with like numbness or like real irritability and itchiness, really uncomfortable. And I think it stands for, it's, to me, it's a really great symbol for how sometimes when we're not feeling like we belong, we numb ourselves. Some of us just say, huh, who cares? I don't care anyway. I'm not going to let myself feel that. And so we numb ourselves and we stand outside and we just kind of write it off and say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't touch me. The fact that I'm not here and connecting to God. So it's kind of a numbing. I guess Hansen's disease is a kind of leprosy that you can't even feel the sensory nerve index, right? So, but we do that a lot of times emotionally, spiritually. Doesn't matter that I'm not feeling connected. It does matter. Other times we have a different kind of experience where we're, we're like so irritated and so agitated and so sensitized and it's like an open wound where every sensory nerve ending is exposed and it feels itchy and you're like, I just can't even settle down and I can't relax into connecting and that's a different kind of a problem. So we might even be very close to somebody, but it's like, don't touch me, but I want to be touched. Don't touch me, but I want to, you know, and I think sometimes it's that. And either one of those conditions, they keep us from really feeling whole and being ourselves and being able to enjoy the company of other people. So Jesus hears that cry. He hears the, the words of their cry, but he responds even to the heart of it that's expressed in this plaintiff poetic expression. Well, what does he do next? He, he actually says, well, basically, go and show yourselves to the priest. And what that means is they're going to have to do something. 
They've stood on the outside, they've asked for healing, and he is answering it by saying, I want you to, t to now do something. He's engaging their bodies. He's engaging a behavior on their part. So they actually have to, first of all, they've trusted enough to be vulnerable and say, this is what I need. And then the second thing he's saying, trust enough to do what I'm saying. And they do. They start to walk towards the priests. And why, is that, why are the priests significant? The priests in those days, they were the ones who said, okay, you're healed, you can come back into worshiping now. Because if you had leprosy, like I said, you couldn't participate in worship. And that was the center of all community life and community living. So the priest was there to stand at the threshold of the temple and make sure, are you good to go? Yeah, okay, you're not gonna make anybody sick, come on in. So the priest was the one who had to be an expert in, yeah, as a matter of fact, you're well now. They would stand right at the threshold. But you, were, you had to go, if you're one of these lepers, you had to go to that person, walk to them, and then be tested. It's kind of a risk. I always think of Jesus, like, said to the, the folks to, you know, at the wedding of Cana, fill this stuff, stuff up, now present it to the master. There's a test going on there. Will you do what he's saying to do? And the reason why this is a test is because they're being asked to go right to the place where they've been left out, now you're going to have to move in. And that's often scary. The very way in which you want to be healed is also often the most scary place to be. Like I feel on the outside, but when it comes down to it, if Jesus would say, hey, just move inside now and let yourself be discovered as part of what you're supposed to belong to. That's kind of scary. And that's often what he asks us to do is to trust him enough to, to begin to move in in the very ways that you are uncomfortable for. So, you know, if you're one of those folks who's like, oh, don't touch me, don't touch me. He's saying, you know what? Let me just place my hand on you gently and you'll see that my touch is really sensitive. Or, you know, if you've been numb to actually say, I'm going to not pretend it doesn't matter, I'm going to actually say, well, yeah, it probably does matter. And so I'm gonna let my heart open back up again so that I can feel and enter into it. I just feel like he's saying to all of us, you know, I, I see the fear that you have, I see the disconnection there, but just trust me, I actually know you. I know what you really need. I know what you're hurting about. I know just how to touch you. I know just how to heal you. You're not gonna be alone, and you're going to experience a reunion, the one that your heart's longing for. All right, so they are healed. But then comes a little twist in the story. I think if I was, I don't know which of the 10 I would be. I'd like to think I'd be the one, but there are nine that don't come back to give him thanks. But the one does. As soon as he's discovered that he's been made whole and that he can feel and that he can have, he has clean skin, he, his, he is who he is, and he can enter back into relationship, he's so blessed that he throws himself down in front of the Lord, which is a, a position of worship physically. Again, we're communicating at very deep levels here. And he raises his voice loudly in praise of God and thanking Jesus. And by the way, that the words that's used there is Eucharist, thanksgiving. It's the same thing that we do. When we come to table and we give thanks, we're giving Eucharist. 
And that's exactly what this leper is doing. He's so overwhelmed with the gift of his healing that he comes back. And he continues in a way to be vulnerable by falling down and worshiping. He, um, he's recovering the deepest healing in a way. Paul understood this. Paul said that the reason Adam and Eve fail, fell is because they, they did not render praise and thanksgiving, praise and Eucharist to God. And that's exactly what this leper is doing and he's falling on his knees. And it's, it's a poetry of joy. And it's a poetry that Jesus says is a saving faith. Your faith has saved you, it says. Your faith has made you whole. Well, I thought he was already done healing. I guess there's something more here about healing. And I, I think that one of the, one of the things that um, I remembered was a long time ago I was in a philosophy class with a really famous philosophy professor. His name was Arthur Holmes. He was a British guy. And um, he had this idea of, of what it meant to be a, a healthy human being. It was very Aristotelian. And that, in those days, the way they would des describe it was, you're functional. So I remember talking to him in the, the men's restroom, and I said, hey, Dr. Holmes, how you doing? And he says, oh, functional, functional. And I thought, man, is that all there is? Just like, you know, your plumbing is working or something like that? And I think that a lot of times what we think about as healing is like, I just, I have, my, my capacity to live is restored. You know, my broken bones are restored. And the way that the Lord shows healing when it's really completed is, is that, no, it's actually, it's far more than that. Real healing is to be completely restored to a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And then, then he says, your, your faith has made you well. Your trust in me now at this stage with the completeness of your worship means that you're completely healed. You're totally healed when you're completely worshiping. You're totally restored to what it means to be a human being when you do like he does. And he falls down and he lifts up his voice. You know, we always say, lift up your hearts to the Lord at the beginning of the liturgy. We lift them to the Lord. And so we're lifting our voices and we're lifting our hearts. When we come to kneel before him in humility at the confession, we're expressing a kind of worship that says we want to be completely restored to you, to worship you. And then we are becoming our true selves, not just functional, but completely alive. There's a, an ongoing reality of worship in heaven. The angels are consistently, constantly overwhelmed with praise of God. And they're, they're moving in different ways to express that. And they're lifting their voices continuously. And what we see here in this man is an expression of it on earth as it is in heaven. And when we're really like ourselves, we're supposed to be people who worship like that and give ourselves completely over to it. And it still requires some vulnerability. It still requires us to expose ourselves, and this time I think it's our gratitude. It's that praise and thanksgiving that is about gratitude. In some ways, what I want to say is it's when our tone of voice and our nonverbal expressions actually begin to see God for who he is and then resonate with that. And then our voices, when we realize, oh my goodness, this is God, and he's in our midst, and he's healed me, 
we can't help but rise up with praise. And our prosody, so to speak, the tone of our voice, the rhythm of our voice has begun to praise God. It's not about becoming functional according to some standard that we have in our mind. I was thinking about this with a friend. I was talking to him this week about, well, you know, what is, there's this one thing that happens in some people's lives if they're blessed to experience it that's so much fun. And I think you feel more alive there than you do just about any other time, except perhaps when you have a baby, and that's when you're falling in love, right? I, how many times have you heard somebody say, when they're falling in love with somebody, I actually feel totally alive. It's like, it's like heaven on earth. And the reason for that is because in a way it is. And that's why the, the scriptures compare when we really fully come to God, they compare it to that great wedding feast at the end of the age. When you're fully alive, when you're fully seeing God for who he is. And Jesus has revealed him so much in human form. And we are meant to, in a way, enter into the joy of that as if it was a romance because, in fact, it is. He's now betrothed himself to his church. And we're in that honeymoon phase if we can receive it. If we can actually open up our hearts to, first of all, kneel down and say, I need your help to come back in. But then when we're in, continue to offer that vulnerability, except this time in gratitude. You know, it's... um, it's not, can you imagine if you were in a romantic relationship and somebody was saying, I love you, I really love you. You're the most beautiful f- person I've ever seen, I love you. Do you think that would feel like love to the other person? I think a lot of times though, we do that. It's like, I'm giving my thoughts to you, Jesus. I'm giving all of my, my positive thoughts to you. And yet we've been given entire bodies and and voices and tonality and things like we call enthusiasm to him. Sometimes it's right to lament. Sometimes it's to let the the needs of our heart come out in in a poem of pain. And then other times it's right to say, thank you Jesus for making me whole. You deserve all the praise and thanks. And we let that resonate through us. I mean, Jesus comes in to resonate within our humanity and he wants us to begin to resonate with his divinity. And that's what it means to be alive, to be fully alive. I have this picture of us as a church and I'll finish with this. I keep having this picture of us as a church where we're, 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 we're seated in this like large room. It might be like this room. It's light filled on a large carpet and it's a, it's a place where you immediately sense belonging and you know that you're home, and you know that you've been welcomed in, and it's, it's got all of us sitting there, and we're sort of, you know, Jesus is in our midst, and there's a center to it, and he's telling us about himself, and he's speaking to us from his heart, and connecting with us in the needs that we have, and we're looking at him, but we also see each other. And we're grateful to him and present to him and we're grateful for each other, especially the way that his light is reflected in our, li- in our eyes and in our voices and in our hearts. And I think if we receive the gift of the healing of especially the one leper, the full healing, we'll enter into that incredible heaven on earth 
divine romance that Jesus has for us. Lord, this is more than many of us can ask or imagine. It is the great healing that you brought about then when you entered into Jerusalem. I thank you, Lord, for this one Samaritan leper who was so profoundly moved that the disciples never forgot it. Lord, I thank you that from there, you caused that man to rise up, to be part of your resurrection experience and to go forth. Lord, I pray that at the end of this service today, that at the end of our worship, that you would cause us to rise up and go forward in you, in this full, alive, heaven on earth reality. I pray that our hearts, our bodies, our voices, and our eyes would communicate this everywhere we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.